Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Lord God, author of our great story, open our hearts and minds this day to the truth you revealed through the words of Jesus. Through your spirit, make these readings come alive, not only in our imagination, but in the work of our daily lives, till all the world reflects your kingdom. Amen. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He, no long, he longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I am starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer desire to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered and fat, the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. You, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered and fatted calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's my fault. Um, when Adelia asked me, so, so for a list of parables, uh, what the parable was for today, I told her, it's the prodigal son, right? Because that's what we usually call this story. But if you're listening close, it becomes apparent that the prodigal is really only half the story. If we stop and look at this parable as Jesus told it, as his first audience would have heard it, it's what we call a two-peaked parable. There are really two stories, two sides of the same coin. 
And it makes sense because Jesus is speaking to two audiences here. Like if like good biblical scholars, we checked back to chapter 15 verses one and two, we'd see that he is speaking to a mixed crowd that gathered in close, hungry to hear what he has to say. There are tax collectors and sinners and even prostitutes. But they're just at the edge in kind of a little whispering, grumbling ring. A group of scribes and Pharisees have come to judge what he will say. He's looking at two audiences, and so he tells two stories. A certain man had two sons. They came from a long line of the finest Israel tradition. Their ancestors went all the way back to traveling with Moses and with Jacob. They had come into the promised land and they had been given property and they had kept the land. Papa was wealthy, so they had kept the land well. You can almost see the large house fit not just for a family, but for servants and hired hands, set back just a little bit from the road, from a crossroad. If you turned right, you went down into the fields, as far as the eye could see, field and vineyard and space to range the goats. If you turned left, the road that went up and out to the Gentile world. These boys grew up together all their life at that crossroad. And every day they would go out and turn right and down into the fields to work. But the younger son, like so many Israelite younger sons, his imagination was bigger. He longed to see the world beyond the left-hand road. And so as he came of age, he went to his father and he said, I demand what will be mine. He broke his poor father's heart. Quite a story for Father's Day, right? Broke his father's heart, but, but daddy loved his son in the way that it seems all Israelite fathers love younger sons. He has that preference for him, and so he divides his property in thirds and gives a third to the younger son. And the boy sells it all, converts it to cash, it's the first thing you do, liquidate assets, and takes off down the left-hand road. His father watches him go, maybe a little afraid he will never see him come back again. For a while, life is pretty good in the outside world. He gets to party and live it up. He spends his money, and money buys friends really well. But he's not making money. So every expenditure leaves him a little poorer, a little lonelier. And then the famine comes. And you can burn through cash real fast. And he finds himself without food, without home, without all those friends that had gathered around. He has chosen the Gentile world, and so he goes to work for a Gentile farmer, and he ends up feeding pigs of all things. 
He grew up a good Jewish boy. He probably never saw a pig before he left home, much less touched one, ate with one, smelled one. It is not a happy place in the pigsty. The text we read today says eventually he came to his senses. It's good words. Um, The NRSV says he came to himself. He has this revelation one day. He realizes just how bad life has gotten, just how much he has sold out, not just the money, not just the property. He is feeding pigs. He has become something wholly other than what he grew up. And he remembers who he's supposed to be. And he knows he has done wrong. And as he gets up out of the mire and starts to trek that long road back home, he begins to rehearse the speech. Remember back when you were a child, you never did this, right? You were gonna have to go confess to mom and dad, so you rehearsed the speech ahead of time to make, make sure you said everything, but you said it in just the right way. Yeah, okay, see, Harmony's laughing, so she's the only honest one here. <laughs> yes, he, he begins to say the speech, I have sinned against you, I have sinned against God, I am no longer worthy to be your son, but can I live as a servant in your house. He gets the four points down like any good preacher, right? And as he comes up to that crossroad, he rehearses them over and over because he can feel that knot in his stomach, that piece of pride that just won't quite let go, that fear that maybe his father won't take him back. He can see the lights already lit at the house, and set against them is a silhouette coming fast toward that crossroad. Maybe he is surprised to find it is not just a servant, but his father himself. A rich man has run, which is not a thing one does in the ancient world. He has run to the crossroad to meet his son. And as the, as the younger son starts into the speech, I have sinned against you and against God, and he doesn't get it out because his father embraces him and through tears and hugs hushes all of that. He puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. Forget this hired hand stuff. You were my son. You were lost, you were dead, you are home. And we are gonna throw a party. If you were a tax collector, or a sinner, or a prostitute, this was your story, or at least the story you wanted to be. To know that it didn't matter what you had done, or where you had been, or how far you had gone from home. It didn't even matter if you had asked for forgiveness yet. Father was already at the crossroad, waiting, ready, wanting to give not justice or mercy, but grace and welcome you in to the celebration. 
his father throws a party. But as the evening goes on, the older brother comes up the other road. He has worked long and hard in that field. He has worked long and hard in that field every day of his life. He has been the perfect elder son. He has taken care of his father in his old age. He has managed the vineyards. He has grown the herds. He has looked after his friends, the farmhands. He has done everything he was supposed to do his entire life. And as he gets to that crossroads, he hears a party. He doesn't even get past the crossroads. He just stops and looks at the lights and the music at the house. And as a servant passes by, he says, what's, what's going on? It's not a feast day. It's not a celebration. Oh, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fatted calf and taken him back as a son. And it's like a punch in the stomach for the older brother. He can't even get any closer to the house. He sends that servant in to go and get his father. This is not acceptable. And where the younger son had begun, Father, I sinned against you and against God, I left home. The older son has had none of this. There is no time for relationship or respect or honor. The world has turned upside down and it's not okay. And it is, listen here, old man. (laughs) My entire life, I have done everything you asked. I have slaved away in that darn field down there. And you throw a party for that son of yours who squandered your property. The, The Greek there is who literally squandered your life. You throw a party for him? There is nothing but indignation in his words. I think if you're a scribe or a Pharisee grumbling at the back, maybe your stomach just got punched too. Standing out at that crossroad, where a younger son asked for forgiveness and got grace and a party, suddenly you feel like the older son is kind of left out in the cold. In fact, that's where Jesus leaves him at the end of the story. You notice there is no conclusion here. He doesn't tie it up in a nice package. He doesn't tell you what the older son decides to do. He leaves him standing at that crossroad for a good reason. See, he's trying to remind us that the older son and the younger son really aren't all that different. The younger son went away. He got lost. He got dead. But the older son, in that moment of rage and anger, at that crossroad, he is just as lost, just as dead, just as broken and cut off from his father as the younger son ever was. And it is impossible, it seems, for him to consider repentance or forgiveness. 
but the father is already there. See, just like with the younger son, the father's forgiveness is not dependent upon repentance. Our forgiveness is not predicated on repentance. Repentance is not required for the grace that God gives. But repentance is what gets you into the party. See, the father comes and meets the older son's anger with quiet, with gentleness. My son, you have always been with me. All that is mine is yours. But underneath that lies the implication that all that is my ways should be your ways. The challenge for the younger son was to remember who he was and to come back. For him, repentance meant to call God Father again, to say Abba, to restore relationship. For the older son, though, it is not just to call God Father, but to say brother to the one who went away. In the world of the parable, forgiveness is not just what is extended to us, but what we extend to those around us. And I think Jesus leaves the older son standing at that crossroads to recognize just how difficult a task he has set. It seems like such a simple thing to walk the 10 steps and enter into the party, but it's a high price of admission. That older son is gonna have to give up every ounce of pride, every right to judge, every instinct in him to call himself better than his brother. He is gonna have to let go of the idea that he has done it right and somebody else has done it wrong. He is gonna have to forgive and accept the fact that what he did at that crossroad requires forgiveness. It is a high, high bar. And my husband will tell you that all week I have complained because I felt inadequate to preach it. I will confess I have been a person who struggles with judgment and forgiveness. And so as we close, I think it is more fitting not to use my words, but to close with the words of others who are possibly far better saints than I will ever be. Uh, these are the words of the families who lost loved ones in Charleston, South Carolina this week as they appeared in an editorial in the New York Daily News. It's very short, I will read it in whole. The nine people slain in South Carolina were attacked, they died living their faith and the loved ones of those lost have carried on the finest the human heart has to offer. To hear them express forgiveness for the young white racist who opened fire in a Bible study class was to be awed at the capacity for upholding the teachings of Jesus Christ under the most difficult circumstances. While Ruff watched without response, these speakers' pain cried out 
from quivering voices and muffled sobs. Had your mother been shot, could you have said to the killer what Nandee Collier, daughter of Ethel Lance, said? I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you, and I have mercy on your soul. You hurt me, you hurt a lot of people, but God forgives, and I forgive you. Had Ruff killed your son, could you have said to him what Felicia Sanders, mother of Tawanza Sanders, said? We welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I have ever known. Every fiber in my body hurts and I will never be the same. But as we say in Bible study, we enjoyed you. May God have mercy on you. Had Ruff muttered your sister, murdered your sister, could you have said to him what Bethany Middleton Brown, sister of Reverend Dwayne Middleton Doctor, said? I am a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing Depain taught me is that we are family built on love. We have no room for hate, and so we have to forgive. I pray to God on your soul, and I also thank God that I won't be around when your judgment comes. May God bless you. Had Ruff killed your grandfather, could you have said what Alana Simmons, granddaughter of Daniel Simmons, said? Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love, and their legacies will live in love, so hate won't win. Had Ruff murdered your wife, could you have said what Reverend Anthony Thompson said? I would just like him to know, I forgive you, and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess. Give your life to the one that matters most, Christ, so that he can change it, can change your ways. No matter what happened to you, you will be okay. Would you join me in a moment of silence for their loss? Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. And certainly today, uh, Pastor Kate has uh, laid out uh, a beautiful next step. Uh, Jeremy, with the response activity, um, I, I, I want to say that sometimes those who we need to write that first letter to uh, may not be receptive, may not be available, may not still even be living. Uh, I think you would agree with me that even just the act of writing that letter uh, is a wonderful uh, spiritual therapeutic moment uh, as you work towards the steps of forgiveness. Uh, and I, I love that Pastor Kate said that those 10 steps for the older brother uh, to get to the party are 10 hard steps. I might even say that they might even be 12 steps, but uh, taking those steps are an important part of our work. I wanna encourage you as your next step 
uh, to work on those letters. If you want to talk with one of the pastors or a Stephen minister, uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, we would love to uh, guide you as you're taking your next step. Um, in response to the um, shootings in Charleston, uh, Bishop Huey, our bishop, uh, wrote a letter that she would like for, uh, to be shared with the congregation uh, of, the, uh, of all the congregations in the Texas Annual Conference. Uh, she says, I write with a heavy heart the nine murders at Emmanuel uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina touches us all. We grieve and pray for the dead, including their pastor, Reverend Clementa Pickney. We remember their parents, children, sisters, and brothers, and their friends. We join our heart, hearts with the people of the Emmanuel congregation as they gather for worship today. And we also pray for the sad and difficult soul who perpetrated this unspeakable act of violence. This tragedy must deepen our resolve to work more intentionally and purposefully to eradicate the scourge of racism, which sickens the mind and soul. We commit ourselves to stand against violence and hatred against people of color and commit ourselves to work for a peaceful society, which celebrates the rich diversity of all God's people. She says, we are an Easter people who do not dwell long in shades of darkness. In the words of the great hymn, lift every voice and sing, uh, sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of the new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. I would also add that uh, there's an AME church uh, here in the Brazosport area. It's located on Lazy Lane in Clute. Probably wouldn't be uh, a bad idea uh, to remember them in prayer as they're worshiping today. Uh, and that together we might see all uh, with God's love. Um, uh, what is the, the uh, great VBS song, red and yellow, black and white, Jesus loves us all in his sight. Um, why don't we continue? Uh, I should also say, if today's the day you'd like to join this congregation, we'd love for you to come down during our closing hymn, uh, which David Hill is going to come and lead us in. It's Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Um, it can be found in the green worship and song hymnal on page 3104. If, as the service concludes, you would like someone to talk to or to pray with, uh, Ruth Linvite is standing by as our Stephen minister. I will also say that forgiveness is hard work, and so there will be Stephen ministers on hand all throughout the week. Uh, some of those times are printed in your bulletin. There are also cards available on the welcome table if you'd like to take one home and see what fits in your schedule. Hear this benediction. Grace is indeed amazing and it does abound, not only for us, but through us, to all the world. Go forth now, in the name of your Father, in fellowship with the Son, and through the Spirit, call all brother and sister. Amen.